We have finished looking at those parables that are found exclusively in Matthew and exclusively in Luke. That was a fascinating uh, journey to actually see what one would choose as opposed to the other. Tonight we're going to see a little, uh, just a, just a, a glance, a, 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 an image, a very slight glance at that. But uh, most of what we're going to look at is where Matthew and Luke, Luke tell the same story, give the same parable. And also where Matthew, Mark, and Luke give the same parable. And we'll also look at, uh, take a glance at one of them in the Gospel of Thomas. So let's start with, uh, and if you look at your chart, you'll see how it's laid out here. Um, let's take, oh, let's go down the list. Gosh, you've got to go a ways to find a good one. How about the parable of the leaven? That's interesting. So Matthew 13.33. Matthew 13.33. And Luke 13.20-21. That's of convenient. How convenient. Luke 13, 20 and 21. Beginning in Matthew 13, 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Hmm. That's short. <laughs> well, last, last week we had some really long ones. That's short. Okay. That reminds me of the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Really short, succinct, to the point. This one's a little, little different and yet the same. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Looking at the parallel over in Luke, Luke 13, 20 and 21. And again he said, To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Now, Translational issue here mixed in with hid is a possible alternative reading there. Actually, it's um, closer to the Greek actual hid, which actually makes it very similar, even more similar actually, to the treasure in the field that was hid there. Going back and looking at it in Matthew, since it's you know, almost the same in Luke, there are a couple of differences, but let's look at it in Matthew. Matthew 33 again. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. What does that mean? What's that mean? We just want to sit and listen to he said what? I've been listening to a lot of disciples of process theology, and it seems to lend itself to that kind of interpretation where the kingdom of heaven is, is, is a thing, whatever it is that's here, that's working on us and changing to 
a certain extent the here and now as opposed to the hereafter. The kingdom of heaven is hidden amongst the day, today. And it, just as leaven causes the dough to change and to rise, so also the kingdom of heaven, hidden amidst the day, the today, causes it to change and grow and transform, transmogrify, if you will. All right, that's one interesting interpretation. What's missing in the formula here? By that I mean the bread formula. The evil. Right, more, more, more literal than that. Water. 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 Without water, the yeast won't activate. Isn't that right? Right. You have to have water. Now, one interpreter says the water is understood as already being there. Well, but that's not listed. Without the water there, the yeast won't activate. Hence, one interpreter says, we are to be more like the water in the midst of the world. God's presence, the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, therefore is there, but it will not function, it will not grow, it will not transform the world until we are added to it. Interesting interpretation there. Yes. Except that it doesn't actually say yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they haven't stopped us before. No one has it. <laughs> Why are there three measures? Why not five or two or whatever? I mean, both of them are very specific. Yeah, three measures of flour. Yeah. Where's the three? Oh, in the other Three one? measures, then it's in both. Yeah, no, it's, it's 33. It's it is. Yeah, it's in both. Took and mixed with three measures of flour. It's in both Matthew and in Luke. I mean, it, it says the same thing in both of those. Mine says large amounts. I large amounts? I got messed up. Yeah, it's in red too. Well, actually, an IV for you. Yeah, I know. Not you can't trust Bible. Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Chuck when I need him? Where is he? Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Probably Chuck and Bonnie. So, what do you think? The Trinity. The Trinity. Well, I, I, I can I can see Augustine or Athanasius or some church yeah. father pulling that yeah. one out of their hat. They would. Um, not here, but. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> the NIV people left the Trinity out of my Bible? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can see some church father doing that, but I, again, like the water's not there, that's not there. Symbolically, I think the water probably is the Holy Spirit. The, the activity of the Holy Spirit to... Activate. Yeah. Okay. Which means the yeast is what? Growing. Huh? Growing. They're getting bigger. Yeah, but what is the yeast? We are Christians. Thank you. We are. What is it? The best interpretation is that the yeast is it. The it's yeast us. is we. The us. Except it used to be evil, didn't it? Most of them everywhere else. Here the meaning of the term. Here the meaning of yeast has been turned on its head. Maybe there's a reason for that. Here it's been turned on its head. Uh, just, just, just a minute. <laughs> just, just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> We in the world are called to act. Holy Spirit enables us to, infuses us, empowers us to. Think about it. We are the kingdom of God. If you take it, if you go beyond the level of here into Christian theology, 
We become the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears of Christ Jesus. We become the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God. The church is the kingdom of God and it's foretaste here in the world today. So we act in this world to change and transform it. We become the yeast, essentially, causing it to rise, causing it to change. And the water then, and that's a beautiful, powerful, biblical symbol as well, becomes the activating agent. Oh, there are many ways to interpret this. I mean, it's, it's, it's one verse in Matthew and two verses in Luke. But, but you can, there have been books spent on the subject of the interpretation of this one little parable. The littler parables, in other words, sometimes give you a heck of a lot more trouble <laughs> than the longer ones. Than the longer ones. Maybe, maybe Matthew was a Unitarian, so he didn't really need the water. <laughs> well, then Luke didn't either. <laughs> Is this not here? There's no water in Luke either. my notes Oh, you're going to cheat and go to your notes. Mm. The kingdom is pictured as yeast. Okay. Multiplying quietly. Yeah. Here's the note in mind. Yeast, God's rule, like yeast working in a hidden way, will pervade one's life, giving it new quality. Again, another interpretation. Not far away from the others, but yet a different way of looking at it. Yeah, multiple interpretations, the shorter ones are rife for that. I mean, they're just, they're just ripe and ready to come out in multiple different ways. Is any one of them right? Well, I don't see Jesus actually explaining it. <laughs> hmm. More thoughts? Huh. Thomas is talking about concealing it in the dough. All right, let's take a look at what Thomas has to say. Thomas quotes this. Let's see. 96, isn't it? Come on. 96. 96. Oh boy. Thomas. Ooh. Jesus said, The Father's kingdom is like a woman. Well, that's a shock. Yeah. <laughs> Gnostics didn't like that at all. I'm sure they had to check keep that going, one. Keep going. <laughs> Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a woman. She took a little leaven, hid it in dough, and made it into large loaves of bread. Anyone here with two ears had better listen. That's Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Gospel of Thomas. How they how they reference that, you know, that that also reflects. Um, well, notice it says a little leaven. Hid it in dough. Now mine has that in brackets, which means that there's some question as to translation or, or textual nature there, but that's okay. Hid it in dough, which kind of reflects this idea of mixed in with actually translating the Greek word hid. Hmm. Oh, it's the fold. The word folds express the implied verb, which is believed to be hid uh-huh. or concealed. So you have folds, you gotta. Yeah. Yep. And made it into large loaves of bread, i.e. bread that has raised to make large loaves. Hmm. You can see how they've taken this parable of Jesus and kind of pushed it a little further in interpreting. It it goes to a product. Number one, it's talking about the person who's doing it. Yeah. And then it produces a product, whereas this one is talking kind of about 
process of changing. Yeah. This one, the, as it comes out of Matthew and, and in Luke, um, as it comes probably from you, what you get is a process. Not so much the finished product, although the finished product is assumed. It's the process that's important here. Whereas Thomas has taken it to the end. Hmm. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to the next one. we got plenty to look at tonight. Uh, we've done 11. Let's do, oh, I don't know. Let's do the unmerciful servant. Warning. What we're going to read in Matthew is mostly unique to Matthew. 18, 21 through 35. 18, 21 through 35. Eighteen twenty-one through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church, uh-oh, right there I have the NRSV is just messing around with the reading. Naughty, naughty, naughty translators here. If another member of the church, uh, that reads in Greek, if a brother. If your brother. Yep. Now, eh, okay, I can understand the interpretation there. They're trying to be inclusive. And they don't want to say if your brother or sister. All right. Well, that's what it means. If your brother or sister sins against, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times or 70 times seven, depending upon your textual exemplars. Well, 77 times is a lot. 70 times 7 is a lot more. That's what, 490 times? That's a lot. 77? No. 70 times 7? Hmm, possibly. Now you just get away from them at that point. <laughs> <laughs> about, you know, about, yeah, no. about six or seven. Unless you're a glutton, you just get out they of They sin, there. you forgive. They sin, you forgive. They sin, you forgive. Oh, no. We're going to pause at this point and look at the parallel in Luke. Look at the parallel <laughs> over in Luke. So Luke's parallel is find it found in chapter 17, beginning at verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, yeah, I did it again. If your brother sins, NRSV translators are just messing with it again. If your brother sins, if another disciple sins, same thing, you must rebuke the offender. <laughs> I get it. <about. laughs> yeah. Yeah. You must rebuke the offender. And. If there is repentance, oh darn it. And if there is repentance, you must, not may, not should, not might want to think about, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back and turns back to give to you seven times and says, I repent, you must. Forgive. 
Jesus, that's not easy. Nor is it fair. I'm out of here. <laughs> You're out of here. How many times do you, does it take to get to the bottom of a uh, sucker? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a game. My goodness. Ouch. Now you can see what Luke has done. He's taken the question from Peter's lips and he's made it a declaratory statement by Jesus. So his editing has changed it slightly, but the essence is still the same. Look at what he says. Seven times a day and comes back and says seven times, I repent. Seven times a day, seven days a week. But Matthew doesn't have anything about I repent. No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, why, is this, again, why is a servant unmerciful? What, why is this title? We're not there yet. Okay. Well, they shouldn't stop there. I went over to Luke because Luke doesn't contain the parable itself. <laughs> Go back to Matthew. Back to Matthew. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. A talent was worth more than 15 years wages of a laborer. This is more than that nard stuff, isn't it? I'm far more than the nard. <laughs> you can buy a lot of nard with this. Fifteen years wages. Let's just have some fun with this one. Let us assume that fifteen years wages that the one year's wages for a common laborer is worth uh, twenty-four thousand dollars in modern, everyday, current twenty-first century money. That's two hundred and forty million dollars. This guy owed. <laughs> if he owned ten, if he owed ten thousand, that still blows me away. If he owed ten thousand talents, he owed roughly two hundred and forty million dollars, which points out this is insanely impossible. There is just no way on God's good earth he could ever pay it back. How in the world did he run up this debt to begin with? Ah! And he could not pay. Well, I'm not surprised you couldn't pay. His Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. I'm not sure even that would cover him. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Well, given the size of the debt, it's not extremely likely that he could have done that, but that certainly is repentance recognizing he's wrong and willing to make restitution. That's, that's contrition right there. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarius was the usual day's wage for a laborer. 100 days worth of wages as opposed to 15 years times 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> it says it was worth about 20 cents. 
Well, if you second. yeah, if you don't transfer the value of money into modern everyday. Of course, this was probably should come a long time ago. No, was it? 1952. 1952. Yeah. Oh, about, about $45. <laughs> 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 Nevertheless, a yeah. hundred denarii, a single day's wage was a single denarius. Hence, that's a hundred days' wages. And yet this guy had owed the king, the Lord, 15 years times 10,000. Wow, uh, labor. That's a lot of rhythmic. <laughs> but that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Jerk. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will, do, will also do, every, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Sounds like we're part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, substantiates the Lord's Prayer there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our Father. Yeah. The whole concept of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, if you're Presbyterian, or forgive us our sins as forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've sinned against us, our, those who've trespassed against us. Yeah. yeah. But this says because if you don't, you're going to burn before it. Oh, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get tortured. Yeah, you're not doing this out of the goodness of your heart. Yeah. But it says you forgive them, your brother or sister, from your heart. That's assuming they repent, right? <laughs> I'm just well, going by what it says. Here. If you listen to Luke. What? Or Matthew. What had this. Um, had slave number one. Slave number one was forgiven an uh, unbelievable debt. Turns around and holds slave number two accountable to him and says, You're going to pay me what you owe me. Slave number two begged for forgiveness, begged for time to pay back the debt. And he wouldn't give it to him. Oh. He needed it to help pay his debt. Well, <laughs> but his debt had already been wiped out. Oh, that's right. Never mind. He can't use that as his excuse. His debt had already been wiped out. He didn't learn from the mercy he himself had received. Instead of doing what had been done for him, which was forgiving, as he had been forgiven, he held against the debt the other owed him. He held that and said, you must repay it, and threw the guy into prison. 
And then the punishment is, since you wouldn't do for the servant that owed you money what I did for you, you get to go into the depths and be tortured until you pay the debt. That sounds so Old Testament. That sounds so Hebrews. So he's taking back then. He's going back on his word. Yeah, he is. Which isn't really good either. To me, me it sounds simplistic. You would rewrite Matthew. Compared to 70 times 7 or whatever, this this sounds so obvious. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I mean, a, a kid could get this one. Okay, but how can you be the first? The first servant is a bad guy. Yeah. How can the first guy be a servant if he owes two hundred forty million dollars? How is that guy serving? That guy's way up the ladder. You know, I think the point is he owed him a lot of money. You know, that's the point. Owed him so much money that it was not conceivable that he could easily repay him, or immediately to go cash a check. He didn't have the money on hand. He couldn't pay it at all. Period. It's beyond his capacity. I, I mean, I love that picture that that, that paints. Is that you know, it's like a, it's like a, a type of the debt that we owe to God. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Precisely correct. It's beyond our ability to comprehend the kind of debt that we owe God. God's wiped it out. And then, how you, can you compare that with any debt that anybody could possibly owe you? Can't. That if God forgave us of that debt that you couldn't for some reason forgive somebody else. God forgave us such an amazingly humongous debt, how can we possibly hold the debts of others against them? They have sinned against us, true. They have asked for forgiveness. They've asked for simply they didn't actually the guy doesn't ask, wipe out my debt. Do for me what the master did for you, which is wipe out the debt. No. He says, I will repay it. Just give me the time. Be patient. That's all he asks for. And, and this, this wicked slave, first slave, wouldn't even do that. I know some finance companies like that. <laughs> 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 They're damned. Uh, according to this, kind of, yeah. They're the Jews said usury was a bad thing. You don't make interest on it. You don't make money on it. Well, we still see why. Are you saying that God, if I'm following this, then obviously God doesn't require repentance before he forgives by what you just said. What are you talking about? Now, your, your example was the biggest debt we owe sure. is for our eternal life. Yeah, our eternal lives uh-huh. given to us through right. Jesus' sacrifice. Right. Jesus, that's what this. That's what. That's what servant number one essentially. Jesus owes. was sacrificed uh-huh. before people repented. That's people. correct. Absolutely. So that's given without repentance. It's it, uh, the the offering is made prior to our response. That's correct. Right. That is the equivalent of Jesus buying the whole field to get the treasure within it. Go back to the parable. In uh, chapter 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field so that he can get the treasure out of it. That's, that's the equivalency there. It's the wheat and the chaff thing again, isn't it? The wheat and the weed? Uh, it's the fish the in the net. The you cast the net out, you pull it in, you want the bass, and you don't want the gar. You want <laughs> literally, and 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 you and you choose the fish that you want. But you had to cast the net, and your net caught everything. All right, 
So that's the image there too. It's, it's the same basic image. Here you have the servant being forgiven a debt that he couldn't possibly have repaid. And that is essentially um, Jesus dying for him. But he has said, please give me time to repay the debt. And instead of just being given time to repay the debt, which there's no way he could have done, the ledger's wiped clean. The forgiveness occurs. He then turns around and goes out and holds accountable to him somebody who owes only 100 days of service. Big whoop. Something that actually could theoretically have been repaid. And he refuses to forgive it. He, he doesn't really accept or understand or believe or realize the reality of the debt that he has had wiped out for himself. He doesn't truly accept and believe what the master has done for him in wiping out the debt he could never have repaid. This, this reveals his own failure to truly accept the gift. Or to respect it. Accept it and apply it in his life. Say, yes, you've done this for me, Master. Thank you very much. I understand what you've done for me. I'm going to go out and go do likewise. So you take the gift back? He's throwing it back. Oh, you're getting more. You're getting more. Oh, yeah, you stretched. Oh, yeah. No, I don't see that. Sorry. He's more passive than that. By refusing. I go along with what Lisa said. By refusing to forgive as he was forgiven. By refusing to forgive in little, for he has been forgiven much, he, in effect, is saying, I reject the forgiveness I have received. He forfeited his Hence this idea that he may have done it out of the realization that he owed a great big debt to his master. Let's go ahead and try to get all this money together anyway. I guess the once saved, always saved would have a problem with this one. Oh, yeah. they hate this one. You think? <laughs> They hate this one. Who does? Once I don't. Baptist and Presbyterians. It, it, yeah. Once given a gift, you, you keep it forever. Once you're, saved, always saved. You say that once you're saved, you can't, not you can't not be a Christian. Clearly, as long this as you're you know, when you turn. accept that gift, some transformation needs to happen Thank you. within the individual that should show itself forth. When you accept the gift that the Master gives, it, when you are, if you are first servant, and you are first servant and you have received this massive debt forgiveness. If that doesn't change you, then you haven't received it. You haven't accepted it. You haven't applied it in your life. It's bounced off of you. You're like Teflon. You have to pay it forward. Pay it forward? Hmm. That's interesting. That's an idea. You have received this grace, that grace that makes you a giver, or in this case, a forgiver. That's the basic idea. So you see, when we bailed out the financial institutions here in America, they're not bailing us out. We wiped them out, so now they're all going to roast in hell. Because they're still they don't pay attention. I'm telling you, our government's got it all wrong. Thoughts, questions, ideas before I move forward. All right. Let's look at the next one down here. Mm, no. Let's skip it and go to the parable of the talents. That'll be more fun. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. 
For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents. A talent was worth more than 15 years wages of a laborer. Five talents. That's a lot of money. All right. To another two and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. In other words, you got one servant who has quite a lot of ability. He can handle five talents. You got another servant who, well, he's not quite as able with the first servant, but, but he can handle two talents, okay? And then this third servant over here, well, he's just got training wheels on, so we'll just give him one, all right? Uh, the one, um, then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with, and traded with them and made five more talents. He had a 100% increase. Wow. You know, it's ten. Smart investor. Yeah, pretty good, especially in today's economy. Wow, that's called speculation. Uh, in the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. Hey, pretty good, pretty good. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Oops. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents came, also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faith, a trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received, how would you like to be in his uh, sandals? No. <laughs> then the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, uh, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seeds, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all who all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not that quite the model for Obama's socialism. <laughs> Oh, hard. Oh. <laughs> um, I think Reverend Wright must not have preached on this. Let's see what Luke does with this first. Let's take a look at how Luke handles this before we go back and look at it in Matthew. 
Luke 19, 13 through 24. Luke 19, 13 through 24. I'm actually going to back up a bit, you know. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds. All right. The minna, rendered here by pound, was about three months' wages for a laborer. All right, well, this is a more, more uh, conceivable, uh, 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 controllable amount of money. You can kind of get your brain around a minute here. Um, and, uh, he summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds and said to them, Do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered the slaves to whom he had given the money to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, you, your pound has made ten more pounds. Wow. Ten. Wow. That's really a good return. We had thought 100% was good. Wow. He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing. Take charge of ten cities. Woo then the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. Yeah, that's pretty good too. He said to him, And you rule over five cities. Then the other came, saying, I get he's sending I go, Oh, I'm gonna get a city. How sweet. <laughs> That's right. That's sweet. Then the other came saying, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid that you, because you are a harsh man, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words. Should have kept your mouth shut. <laughs> you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man? taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money into the bank? When, then when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, take the pound from him and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. Oh, nice. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> I'll screw that one up. Well, isn't that special? Yeah. 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 Line this up against the Beatitudes. <laughs> <laughs> you tell them. Um, so what does Luke do? How does he handle this? What has he done? He embellishes. Oh, yeah, he embellishes. He, 
He, he starts with ten servants and then only tells us what happens with three of them. Mm-hmm. Apparently the other seven didn't do anything with the money at all. But they didn't get killed. No, I found one of the chunky bits. One of the crusty bits. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pete, this was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it took you so long. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, I thought they were tasty. <laughs> Okay. Crunchy. They're crunchy. <laughs> you don't lose your tongue in between. Yeah. So what's he done? Well, the, the biggest addition to me is this business about they didn't like him. Mm. You know, I mean, that just that, kind of that part doesn't come in. That's nowhere in Matthew. No. Hmm. Setting that aside for a minute here. What else? He's changed the amount of money. They all get the same at the beginning versus different the rewards. Yeah. He's changed the rewards. He's changed the result. He's changed the result. The, the result of it was one got ten. He'd been given one. One got five. He'd been given one. And one just sort of wrapped it up in cloth and hid it because he was afraid. That guy, the result was the same, but hmm. Each got the same amount, but produced radically different figures. Huh. That's interesting. Hmm. Let's go back to Matthew. Just just for just for a note. The way in which Luke reads, you can see there's been significant influence uh, from the from the author, Luke, on the parable he has received to tailor it more to his Gentile audience. The utilization of terms, the grammatical structure, everything. It reflects Luke's tendency to Greekify things much more so than Matthew did. So to get back towards a more original rendering of the account, you really need to go to Matthew's version, which contains more of the Hebraic conceptions here. So go back to Matthew. 25.14. Alright. What is it we're talking about? What are these talents here? What's the, what's, what's the ta- what, what is the basic theme of the story? Stewardship. Stewardship, absolutely. Of what? Of the gifts, possessions, and things that God has given us. All right. Of that which we have received. The gifts, the graces, the nature, the calling, the intellect, the resources that God has given us. And God has given us different kinds of gifts and graces and resources. And we're called to employ them, not bury them. We're called to take a risk and put them to work for God by actually taking these gifts and graces and employing them in the world, in wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever God has called us to do and be. And whatever we have received, there's no reason why we can't use it, grow it, and grow God's kingdom with it. Unlike this third servant who takes it and buries it in the ground, which means he didn't do anything with what he received. He hid it. He didn't employ it at all. That's the problem. That's his problem. If he had just put it into the bank and it earned a little bit of interest. I mean, the, the first servant took five talents and made five more. The second ter- servant took two talents and made two more. If the, first, if the third servant had taken his one talent, put it in the bank, he wouldn't have made another talent, but he would have made something. 
they at least would have gotten some production. But didn't even do that. He went and hid it. Buried it in the backyard. Didn't use it at all. What a waste. What a terrible waste. What a terrible waste. Why is, so, so what are these talents again? They're the gifts, the graces, the resources God has given us. We're called to employ them. So now how do you understand what the punishment that occurs for the third servant who is wicked and is going to be thrown out where there's much you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth? Yeah. Well, basically, that's denial of, of or rejection of what you receive. Well, lose, use it or lose it. Yeah. That's yeah, another right. hit against this whole concept <laughs> of once saved, always saved. Yeah. Isn't it? Use it or lose it. Yeah, yeah but they're saying you don't have it. He's saying those who have left nothing will have But, not, but this, this one servant doesn't have anything at all. All he had is that one talent that had been given to him. He didn't use it to make anything else, not even a few minutes. All he did was bury it in the ground. He wasted it. Whereas the first and the second servant, one had created five. The other had created two out of the five and the two. They had something that they had created with what had been given them. This third servant had nothing. What he had had been given him by the master. Take it away. To me, it's, it seems it's almost like this verse 29 was a, was a saying that was out there. If you just look at it by itself, all those who have, all will be given. Yeah. And they will have an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And they thought, Let's find a story that'll kind of make that work. <laughs> it really sucks by itself. You know, it's yeah. interesting to note yeah. how yeah. that saying is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. It would have been nice if he won't hear. Wouldn't it? It's one of them hard sayings that people like the Jesus Seminar say, oh boy, this one's a really hard one. The criteria of dissonance says, man, if, if the church could have found a way to get rid of that one, it would have done it. It certainly didn't invent it and apply it to Jesus to begin with. Jesus must have said it. <laughs> because it seems to focus on, on the outcome of the story. That is, the, the guy that had, had made some money, he gets a lot more. Yeah. Well, one more. <laughs> well, no, they, I mean, in the other one, they get cities. You know, they get cities, yeah. Those are the, that's what they have, and they're getting more, whereas these people who don't have... And nobody in the story had nothing exactly, but the, uh, that's what he says. If you have nothing, you're not going to have anything more. Mm -hmm. That's right. If you don't have anything, you're going to have less. That's interesting. You're not even going to have that which was right. given to you. Or that you earned. You had nothing. Got, the master gives you a talent. You bury it. You don't do nothing with it. The master takes it away. You had nothing. You didn't do anything with it when God gave it to you. Therefore, when he takes it away, you still have nothing. Had you been servant number one, given five talents, you created five talents with it, in theory, you made those talents. In theory, they're yours. But of course, you give them back to the master who gave you the capital to begin with. And therefore, you enter into the joy of your master. Or as in Luke says, you get five cities or ten cities or whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's a sense in which each one of these, the first two servants, they made something. This third servant made nothing. 
Hence, he had nothing going in, and guess what? He has nothing coming out. In other words, don't bury your gifts and graces, your talents, that which God has given you, but use them. Employ them. Don't be afraid to act. Don't be afraid to speak. The nice thing about that, though, with comparison of the two who actually were given talents of different values and both used them, the response was the same in terms of well done, good and faithful servant. So I think mm-hmm. as a message to looking horizontally between you and anybody else, it, it, you should never feel as though your talent might be insignificant when you look around and you see other people with so much more that they're doing but rather look and do what you can with what you have. Yeah, what's, not, your, what's your call to do? Absolutely. You know, God will distribute different gifts and different uh, degree to different to each individual person. That's right. It's, it's an individual responsibility to do with what you've been given, not, you know, by looking at somebody else, well, he, why can't I have that gift? Mm-hmm. Right. Or why can't I have five talents that's to play right. with? Well, Think that's what you like thinking you get to heaven with deeds. Well, I'm not doing as well. I'm not doing. I must not be doing as well because I'm not. What's the difference between this and works? Because this sounds like salvation by works to me, or or might if you understand it wrongly. What's the difference? Well, first of all, the the talents that you're working with have been given to you. That's grace. When you then take out those talents and invest them, that's faith. That's active faith. The grace you have received, which is in itself the gift of faith, you then turn around and act with them, exercising faith, improving upon them. This third servant, he was given grace and he buried it. He didn't act in faith. What? What? Just reflecting. <laughs> Are you reflecting on someone you used to know? No, even on myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even on myself. I mean, yeah. you know, it's we, we all are capable of that. Oh! Uh, we're both, we're, we, we are capable of acting in faith with our five or our two talents or even our one we're talent. We're capable of burying it. That's right. Or we are very capable of burying our five, our two, or our oh, one. I'll tell you what, it comes back and bites you. <laughs> Every time you bury it? Absolutely. Yeah. Because you, literally use it or lose it here. Yeah. Literally. If you do not take the gifts which God has given you and employ them, they end up going away. They end up atrophying. They don't get employed. They don't get utilized. If you if you don't use them, they die within you. If you don't take the grace that God has given you and employ it in your life by faith, it does you no good. It becomes worthless. Uh, because works come from you, from your own self and your own nature. You made those five talents that you're now taking and investing. Those five talents came from your sweat of your brow. You earned those initial five talents from your own labor and your own work in the field. And now you're taking those five talents and you're making five more with them. Look what I did, what I earned by my own ability and power. Whereas that's that's good works. That is good works or actually works. Works righteousness. 
the opposite of good. Yeah. It's the works that don't do anything for you because the focus is on what you did rather than the focus on what the master has given me, which is those talents which I, was, I didn't do anything to earn that. It's just given to me. And then I turn around and put them into action. And when I put them into action, more are generated. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. It allows me to do more and then do more and then do more. And everything that you do, every act that you take is empowered by the gift that you have received. Not anything that you yourself did to generate it. Those things that are those things that are multiplying and, and moral or whatever you're talking, those are not works. Well, that's the outflow of faith is good works. And by that's the it's true faith. meaning of good works. Yeah, it's failing, exactly. It's that distinction between that which we do in acting by faith and the good work that is the spin-off result for which we are created, according to Paul. But it's not something that we uh, get any brownie points for in and of itself. The, the, the brownie point, it, it, what each of these servants got, in essence, was the same. They entered into the joy of their master in Matthew's gospel. <coughs> They entered into the joy of their master. They produced different amounts. It doesn't matter. Two, uh, uh, two talent production from two talents is what? 100%. Just like five talent production from five talents is 100%. The dollar figure is different, but the, the, the production is in, in essence the same. They gave 100% of what they got. They gave 100% of what they got. They gave fully. They didn't hold anything back. They didn't bury anything. They gave fully of that which they had received. And in so doing that, in acting in faith, they produced a great, great result. I think it's an issue of response because it ties into, to me, this ties into the parable of the sower. How those that which is coming soon yeah which those received bore fruit in different amounts it's a matter of response and bearing fruit the the, the 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 actual duty is to go and make it is to do what the parable what the master says to do go out and invest it let's take a look at that for just one second take a look back at the directive in uh, verse very close to the beginning uh, summon his slaves and entrusted his property to them no, that's all it says. He entrusted his property to them. What does it mean where he talks about you? He was afraid of him. He did not reap what he sowed. The master. The master. Yeah. Master was powerful. That, that kind of throws me off. Well, let's read it. In both places, too. Yeah. Luke and Matthew both have the same basic citation. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, there it is. Um, I knew that you are a harsh man. This is in verse 24. I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Yeah. It could be an exaggeration. The idea is this guy has, is extraordinarily amazing in making money. He's very powerful in that sense. I mean, literally. And... I know that you make money really easily. I stink at it. <laughs> I was afraid I'd lose it. Now that's really kind of what's going on in there, by the way. This guy was afraid he'd lose it. He'd lose it. 
Yeah, and that brings me back. But I get it. I get what, and I like your pass it forward. Fade it forward is what's uh -huh. happening. Fade, you it fade it forward, and it's going to go. It's going to multiply. Correct. Got it. Got it. What I don't like about this, and I would hate to use the word unfair. <laughs> yeah. Again, is that uh, if I've got five talents, if I've got five gifts, and I screw up, which isn't mentioned here anywhere, uh -huh. like the real world. And I only get you, I only, you know, one of them I just screw up on and it doesn't make it its investment, but I get the other four, I got an 80% return, not too shabby. Yeah. All right. If I've got two and I screw up on one of them, still got I still got one, yeah, I got you one and got they produce another one, I may end up with three. Uh -huh. But at least I, I, had, I had multiples, multiple yeah. five, multiple two. So why even tell it that way? Then we get down to one, you screw up one. What have you got left? Nothing. Thank you. No, I'm just agree with that because he went on and to clarify. He says, even if you just put that in the Thank bag, it, yeah. it, it wasn't that you was screwed gonna... up on it. It's that you put it. You, you didn't even try. You didn't do anything. He's not. It's not the value of what you did with it in t in terms of percentages. It's the fact that you valued it enough to at least do something with it. So I don't think it's the result that matters, no. but the fact that they did something. It's, so what they did. Well, it's, it's again process. Yeah, he said just put it in. But the, the bank goes under. Duh. FDIC. I can do something with those letters for but you. But he could have at least said, I put it in the bank so it would draw interest. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you Master, I was afraid. I put it in the bank. It drew interest. Here's your one talent in six minutes. Yeah. He would have been exercising it? some kind of stewardship. Exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah. Instead of burying it and doing nothing exactly. with it. But he gave back to him what he got. But he didn't do, he didn't do anything with it. Just Understood. holding on to it is not The serious. essence is and he didn't do anything with it. Understood. And but had he lost thing. it, had any of It is so sad to see people. To, let's let's, let's make it a an actual experiential thing. To see people who've been given gifts and graces and they do nothing with them. I see it all the time. Absolutely. People who have been given talents, uh, you know, That's the talent type talent, who've been given gifts and graces, and they're too afraid to do anything with them. They refuse to go to school and study. They refuse to do what's necessary to take those talents, those gifts and graces, and employ them for God. And it just, it, 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 I just hate to see it. They are the third servant. Who are doing nothing, nothing, with what they've received. They're wasting it. I just, I, uh, that just makes me sick. And, and 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 that's what it's talking about here. Don't be like this third lazy, lazy slave. Another thing is that it, it says in Luke that he uh, he was afraid to have God reign over him. I'm sorry? He was afraid to have God reign over him. He didn't want God to reign over him. Oh, the people of the, of the, of the town. The, the first the guy with the one talent. Well, let's look at that again. Yeah, 19. That, that let's look at that again. Let's look yeah. at that again. Where is it? 19. Oh, yeah. 13 through. Oh, yeah. 27. Really? <coughs> oh. Uh, but as for these enemies of mine, who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. Uh, that's part of that framework that Luke Abdens puts it within. That, um, well, that was denying the grace, right? 
rejecting it would be rejecting the gift yeah. it would be rejecting the king the lordship of, of the master altogether and it kind of makes you wonder is that apply then to the other seven yeah, who don't get mentioned right. after the beginning Maybe you know it's, it's what it, it, um, he summoned ten of his slaves yeah. and gave each a pound but only three of them have results that's what Maybe it says just fettered it away Maybe they took it and ran. Took it and ran. And, uh, and well, it's the citizens. It's, it has nothing to do with that group of slaves. Yeah. Well, it's but it's the citizens who, who, it's the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation af after him to those slaves, saying, "We do not want this man to rule over us." Which kind of makes it sounds like then those seven who, who aren't who didn't seem to do anything. <laughs> Um, other than the first three, they don't, they're not even there anymore. The citizens go to the, wherever he was going to get his power. He was going to Rome or wherever. Yeah, well, we don't That's see that. Yeah, sure well, on the other hand, it sets He went to a distant country to get power for himself and then return. But the citizens hey, went and sent a delegation after him. They went, you know, trying to catch up with Okay, him. but I, I still don't see how that then applies to the parable. Well, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a framework within which the parable yeah, has been I don't inserted. Know. It just well, seems to be irrelevant. To they the totally turned against him. They did. And so they were slaughtered in front of him. Because even when though was, he gave them something, they just turned against him. They did turn against him. When was this written? Because they were talking about the rebellion and the 70 AD and they're explaining well, it. Well, it reflects the post-rebellion the post -rebellion situation, yeah, which is one of the ways in which you date Luke to after 70. Okay. Mark has no indication that the rebellion has occurred or that the destruction of Jerusalem That's has occurred, it, whereas Luke and Matthew both contain clear indications that the rebellion is over with and that Jerusalem has been destroyed. This is one of those indications, by the way. Yeah. In that context. Yeah, got it. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. So okay, let's let's go and take a little bit now, since we do have a few minutes here. Let's look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The parable of the sower. Matthew let's go Mark first. Mark four verses beginning at verse one. Mark four verse one. Again he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables and in his teaching he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. Stop there. Let's see the parallel in Matthew. So, you know, keep a marker or do something to hold that spot because we're coming back to Mark. 
and turn to Matthew. Ah, again, chapter 13. Notice how Matthew grouped a whole bunch of these parables together, just like Luke grouped, grouped parables together. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. That's almost identical. Almost identical. Well, a few minor changes, like the very end. In Mark, it's an increasing um, uh, sequences of magnitude. Uh, 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Matthew, it's decreasing magnitude. 100, 60, and 30 fold. Did you do a sermon on this one? Uh -huh. well, it's been a while. I thought I remembered that. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> let's look at Matthew real quick on the parable, that parable itself. So go to, I mean Luke real quick on that parable itself. So go to Luke 8. Soon afterwards, he went on through the city. Oh, it was uh, down. When a crowd, when a great crowd, verse four. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said, a par he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell on thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into the good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. And he said this, and as he said this, he called out, let anyone with ears to hear. Listen, what has Luke done? He's shortened it. He shortened it. He's edited it. He paired it down. He always makes it bigger. Sometimes, he, sometimes he, he, he embellishes it. Sometimes he... Shortens it for brevity and clarity's sake. He shortened this one for brevity and clarity's sake. He shortened it. Because he shortened it, let's set it aside. Go back and look at Mark. What in the world? What in the world is going on here? What does this parable mean? When he was alone, verse uh, 10, when he was alone, those who were around him along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, and may indeed listen, but not understand, so, they, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Ooh. Ooh, let's see how Matthew deals with that. Hard sayings you were talking about? Uh-huh. Here's another. Let's see how Matthew deals with it. Verse 10 of chapter 13 of Matthew. Then his disciples came and asked him, uh, What did you mean with the parables? 
Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's good news. But to them it has not been given. Oh, darn. For to those who have more... Hey, this sounds familiar. But to those who have, more will be given. <laughs> and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Hey, Pete. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Uh, the reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, quote, you will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes, so that they may, might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So, Mark contains the same quotation, but shorter, a, a briefer address to the question. Matthew expounds upon it a little bit to place the disciples in a somewhat more privileged position. Uh, they're alone when they ask this question completely. Whereas in Mark, when he was alone with those who were around him along with the twelve. So it's a slightly larger group. It's still a, a select group of, dis of followers, but it's not just the twelve. In Matthew, uh, when the disciples came and asked him, it's just them disciples. All right. Um, and then it's expanded a little bit. But he still says essentially the same thing. I speak these parables, I speak and I teach in parables in order that those who have not been given the eyes and the ears to see and to hear, they will not understand. Ooh. So when he's explaining this in Mark, really the, I guess the, uh, the unsaid dummies are not the disciples, but the people that are in the crowd with the disciples. When he goes on like 13 and it says, don't you understand this? And it's, it doesn't seem the to be ironic thing is that the disciples, all, even though they were supposedly positioned and privileged to get all this information, exactly. <laughs> they didn't How many get times? It. How many times? Okay, let's read on. Mark 13. We'll come back and cover this in a minute. 13, uh, four, Mark 4, verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Look, you dum-dums, you're supposed to understand this. Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? I want to throw you back and get 12 more. I want another dozen. What about that big net? Do-over! God, I want a do-over! The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. 
The, uh, yeah, that's right. Let's go back and start again. The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sowed. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Ooh. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the lures of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. And it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. It's almost as if he's sort of breaking them up uh-huh. for illustrative purposes. Let's see how Matthew treats that. Verse 18. Here then, now you don't, you don't, you don't have this bit about Jesus that you didn't understand. He just simply says, hear then the parable of them. After having lauded them and said, Blessed are you, for your eye, you have eyes to see, and the prophets would have killed them at your eyes. <laughs> hear then the parable of the sower. You dum-dums. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for the one, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. Oh, I thought once I always say that. <laughs> as for what was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another sixty and another thirty. In both Mark and in Matthew, you have two different. Well, you have you have you have um, what, four situations. You got those who are the path. The word is sown; it bounces off of them. The seed is there; nothing happens. Penetration. No penetration at all. They're like Teflon. It slides right off. Then you got those who have very shallow soil, if any. The seed hits, it sprouts really quickly. It's really exciting, it receives it with joy. Had there been nice deep soil, it probably would have been good. Mm-hmm. But the instant something bad happens, the instant things go wrong, the instant there's persecution of any kind, 
they're gone. Fairweather Christians is the general term used for this group. Then there's those who, you know, frankly, it's true. They have good, deep soil, but they've also got a whole lot of thorns. Lots of distractions. Lots of other things to take your attention and things to do. Life gets in the way. Huh? Life gets in the way. Having too much fun just gets in the way. And chokes off the word and kills it. It's those who have the good deep soil and no thorns <laughs> that the word takes deep root and it grows up and produces an amazing harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. An amazing, incredible, beyond conception, beyond uh, natural ability harvest, which is the basic idea here. Now, the problem is, and this is where it applies to us, sometimes we're going through life and we are nothing but the path. That's these people who do not have ears to hear or eyes to see. That's the people who, as in Matthew's Gospel, uh, how does it read? Uh, you will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and the ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. No, the people who, quite frankly, are the hard ground, the path where Satan goes and eats the seed, those people are this people, the one for whom the parables are couched to begin with. They can't receive. They won't receive. The circumstances in their life make it impossible for them to receive. Some people are in that situation. Now, does that mean that they're always in that situation? No. Sometimes they're not a path. Sometimes they're stony ground with a very thin, shallow soil base. Sometimes they've got lots of thorns. Sometimes, sometimes they're good, deep soil. And the parables are couched this way so that when you are prepared and ready, when you are deep soil, you'll hear them, you'll receive them, and the seed, the word, will be planted deep, and the roots will grow. The difficulty comes with those people who are stony ground. It grows up, at first it looks like it's okay because it's just in general, you see lots of rocks, but you, you know, there may be deep soil here too. And well, it's growing up and it's growing up really fast and it's very enthusiastic and it's very happy and then suddenly bad things happen and they just disappear. You can't really help that. You just keep on scattering the seed. That happens to a lot of Christians. Oh. A lot. Uh, it happens a great deal. They go, go, no. And then... It happens, you know, if you were to break it down, you, you could say there are, there are the three kinds of Christians. Mm -hmm. Those who have deep soil, those who have thorny surroundings, and those who have rocky soil. And so frequently we're either one, we're either in the rocky situation in which the bad things happen and we're gone, or 
we're doing well and then we get choked off. We get distracted. Um, it's it's the, the desire is to be the, that final ground, that deep soil, where the roots take deep, deep anchorage. Questions, thoughts, ideas, observations? And where does the deep soil come from? Deep faith? Well, deep thoughts. What do you think? Well, you know, I'm starting to wonder. I would think it would be coming from God and the conditions set that you accept that grace. When you accept that grace, the soil gets deep and fertile. Where in the ancient world would you find deep, good, fertile soil? By a river. Yes! Ding, 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 ding. You get a blue, you get a star on your report card. Yeah. <laughs> By a river. It's water again. By the water of life, if you will. By the waters of baptism. You could use that as an image, a Christian interpretation here. It would be by the waters of baptism, in a sense. I wanted to go back to Corpus for something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's salt water. That's called the Gulf. That's, that's briny. That's that's salt. <laughs> you can't go back there. You can stay by the Trinity. You're fine. <laughs> Another good image. No, I'm serious. In the ancient world, the best place to find good, deep soil for growing things is by a river. By a river. And that river prepares the soil. Hence, God prepares the soil for us. It's one way of interpreting or understanding that. Uh, I'm of the opinion that, yeah, these parables were articulated this way in order that only those with, who have been given eyes and ears and, quite frankly, hearts of faith to, to see and to hear and to accept the message, they will. Those who aren't yet ready, they don't receive. They can't receive. I, I have seen people hear parables and they go, huh? Even easy ones. And they go, huh? What seems so obvious to many of us is eluding them. It eludes them. Um, other questions? Yeah? Seems to me you're, you're you're falling into Rich's trap about predestination. There, you know, the uh, those who have been given eyes, they'll get it. Right. Those yeah, who I are not that. yet ready, and so they haven't been given it yet. Is that is that? That's problem? my interpretation. Yeah. Everybody has an opportunity at some point, but not everybody exercises okay. that gift of yeah. grace so, that they have been given. Well, no, Choice that's, that's different because you're, there, you're yeah. talking about given. You have yeah. been given this. But not everybody then acts upon it. Not everybody takes that talent out and invests it or, or puts it in the bank. They hide it. They, they bury it. It's a matter it. of choice use involved. It. But yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Uh -huh. It seems to me it, it, the, the, it's, it's not whether you've been given the ability. We all have been given the ability. It's what you, whether you act on it. Uh, yeah, and, and when it's actualized in you will vary from point to point and time to time based upon the nature of the soil you've got. That's the basic idea. So what you're saying is each one of us could be all of these at different times in our lives. Precisely. Go back and forth. And I can look back in my life and tell you when I have been choked by thorns. I can look back in my life and tell you when I have been on rocky ground and my faith has tottered and blown away. I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said when he was, he was um, it's in the screw tape letters, and he says, 
There is no faith greater than the saint, the Christian, the believer, the animal. Screwtape's articulation. The, the Christian who, in the hard times when the warm fuzzies of faith and, and, and the religion had left him, nevertheless obeys, i.e. acts in faith. Runs when to there's, the huh? Runs to the sayer. Uh, exactly. It's those rocky ground moments then that can cause us to turn and run to the soil. It's the thorny ground moments that can cause us to turn and run to be soil again. Um, and if you're ever in a situation where you find the word bouncing off of you like, like little hail pallets off your windshield, oh gosh, you better get out of that quickly because you're on, the, you're on the, the path where it's not, it's so tread down that it's never gonna take any root in you. Now, once you've gotten off that path, you're then in areas where you can start to have the word take root. But unfortunately, there are all sorts of uh, obstacles to that. And I believe we go through points in our lives where we go from good soil even to thorny soil, and even to rocky soil. And I, I tend to understand that is at moments and times in our lives when we have done what is normally called backsliding, where we've not partaken of the means of grace, where we've stayed away from the family of faith, where we haven't read the word, where we haven't prayed, where we haven't served, where we haven't gone to communion, when we haven't participated in the worship life and the, the presence of, the, of, of Christ, when we've done nothing to avail ourselves of the grace of God, then we become thorny ground, then rocky ground. And your parables say you can take it away from you. Yeah. And this is just kind of showing you where you'll go, you know, uh -huh. what's going to happen. I don't see it as a, it's a static picture. It's a static picture, but it's not a static reality. The picture is static. We are holograms. We, we, we are a dynamic situation. And where we are, sometimes this warning from Isaiah applies to us. And if you ever look in your life and see moments when you are deaf and blind and have a no heart, my God, you better run to the soil. At least that's my interpretation of it. But that's a static picture. That Isaiah one, though, was very interesting, a look into God's view, even though he knows those people are rejecting him, uh -huh. pardoned. His nature is such that if they were to turn and ask, he would still would. heal them. Therefore, they're, they're, they're blinded from being able to turn and ask because they're turning and asking not because they're responding in faith, but they're turning and asking for whatever selfish reasons. But for the wrong that, reasons. if they turn for the wrong reasons, his nature is such that he still would heal. That's God's, grace, is God's grace is so amazing. Exactly. That's exactly right. Which is like the, 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 like the antithesis of that huge debt that we all know that's impossible. Is the is the the hugeness of God's grace to be able to obliterate that and respond to our faith? Exactly, it's exactly right. Um, we, we've done a good sampling of them across the board, but I wanted to look at the parable of sower in Thomas to close us out. I said Thomas nine. Jesus said, "Look, the sower went out." took a handful of seeds and scattered them. Some fell on the road, and the birds came and gathered them. Others fell on rock, and they didn't take root in the soil and didn't produce heads of grain. Others fell on thorns, and they choked the seeds 
and worms ate them. And others fell on good soil, and it produced a good crop. It yielded 60 per measure and 120 per measure. In this interpretation of Thomas and that when they say it's the authentic translation, they keep two or three times they talk about heaven, heaven upward and heavenly. Yes. Heavenward. Heavenward. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Interesting. I, you know, I've been we've been sampling a little bit of, of Thomas as we've been doing some of this, and it, it makes for an interesting read. Um, it's so jumbled up. Thomas is so jumbled up. It, it, unlike Q, it, it, it's completely all mixed and matched and scrambled, and therefore is not as helpful to us. But it's interesting to see how a late, extra uh, post-biblical work like Thomas still contains these parables in ways that are totally recognizable. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.